Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, we are in week two of our series called Advent, as what you see on the screen. Um, Pretty easy to figure that one out. And if this is your first time here at DBC, I just want to welcome you. It is, uh, it's great to have you here. We've got a full house. Um, I do believe that God has something for us. And before we really jump into the Word, we're going to be in Luke 1, by the way. Um, but before we even jump into the Word, I, I kind of want to set us up with uh, really something I've observed. Over, over the last, I don't know, I guess while I've been an adult, I realized that the Christmas season is really a season where people worry. And it's, they worry about some things that are important and what am I going to say here, what am I going to do here. But oftentimes we worry about things that are not that important. For instance, I learned this firsthand. I believe I was, I don't know, I'll probably be corrected later. I think I was like 23. Um, but I was, yeah, I'd just gotten out of the Navy and gotten into college. Actually, I was probably 24. And I, I was, Marla and I were both in college and I was working at a department store. And... I'm, I'm try, I always try to be an observant husband. Husbands, take notice of this, please. This, is, this will benefit you later. I always try and be observant. I try and listen. And what I would hear as, as a, a husband who was trying to, to please his wife, I would hear my wife kind of complain about not having clothes, not that any women do that or anything, um, or, you know, or complain about clothes or not the right clothes or the clothes I wanted to wear are dirty and you know, I just have these and these are always the same clothes and I want to wear this and I don't want to wear this. And maybe like you're one of those people who just kind of sort through clothes and you got to like a pile sitting somewhere and all of that. So I would, I would be attentive and I would listen as, as a good husband should. And, and yet I would try and fix a problem. But it really wasn't a problem, but I tried to fix it anyway. So as I was attentive and I worked at this department store, I thought, here's the deal. Marla's talking about clothes. Christmas is coming. I'm going to buy her some clothes. Right? Yeah. Why are you laughing? I tried hard. <laughs> so I go to this department store. Everything, I mean, I'm, I'm, I work there, so like I obviously spent a lot of time there, and I'm, I'm looking around at all these things, and I'm like, hmm, what clothes does she have, and what clothes would she want? So then I settle into this, this place in the department store, and, and I'm like, I kind of narrow the field down some, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, she kind of has some things like this. So I settle on a couple outfits. And one of the outfits that I settled on was like a royal blue, right? By the way, nothing in her wardrobe is royal blue. But it was royal blue. It had this nice velour kind of feel to it. And as I settled down, I narrowed the field, and I looked at this royal blue velour jumpsuit. And I thought, this is rocking right here. I am winning. This Christmas, I am winning. I had spent so much time on and off the clock looking at all the clothes, and I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do, and I tried to do the right thing, and I was so worried that I was trying to please her, and yet I get this, this velour, royal blue velour jumpsuit. And I'm thinking I am doing something great. But yet, whenever she opened it up, and I saw the horror, (laughs) and the shock, and the fear that she was actually going to have to wear this thing because I bought it for her, I realized that something had gone horribly, horribly wrong. And I tried to do the right thing. I tried to get her something that I thought would please her, and, and she... She respected me enough to kind of say, oh, that is really nice. And then, you know, just the horror of the moment. But I was so fearful. 
And yet I know that all of us at Christmas time, we fear, we, we fear things. We fear some things are important, some things are not that important. The, at the end of the day, that's not that important. But one of the things that, that you all fear is, is I want to get, I want to make, or I want to, I want to get the, the right gift for the right person. And you want it to be personal. But yet you scratch your head and you haven't seen them in six months. So you scratch your head and you're like, I don't even know them. So what would I possibly buy them, right? Has anyone been in that boat before? You're like, I don't even, I don't even know. I haven't seen them in six months, but I want it to be personal and it needs to be personal. And then you go back and forth and then you settle on a gift card, which is actually like the most impersonal thing. And you know that it is, but you feel like you don't have a choice, but you, but you're worried about what to get them, right? And then some of you ladies, you're worried because you have to go to a Christmas party or or a get-together or maybe it's a family thing, and you're like, you're not the best cook, so then you worry. You're like, can I bring something store-bought or do I need to go on Pinterest? Do I need to search this thing out? Do I need to try something new, right? Uh, you know, And all these things, we, we, we worry and we, we have fear, and we honestly do. Some of you are even so concerned because your neighbors put their Christmas tree up at Halloween, and then you're like, when is the right time to put up your Christmas tree? I just want to let you off the hook on that. Your neighbors are weird, okay? Nobody does that. That's normal. So if you don't have your Christmas tree up and your neighbors do, it's cool, you know? And yet we, we, this is a season, honestly, where we, where we have some fear and we have some worry. And even in, in the climate, the cultural climate that we're in, it's hard not to, to, to really look past our family and say, wow, the condition of our country. There's some things to be concerned about, right? Am I right in that? I mean, we, we're, we're, we're involved in places, and there's just, there's some, there's, the, the world is, is, a, is in a state of decay, and, and that's obvious. And yet, we can tend to kind of internalize those things and then worry about those. And one of the things that I've found, and even through the Christmas season, and most specifically this one, is, is really, culturally, there is worry, fear, and anxiety over many things. So I thought this morning... As we are in our Advent series, and as we're preparing for, for Him, meaning Jesus, preparing our hearts, even in through this season, while we're preparing for them, no matter who them is, like who you're going to be around, what we need to first prepare with the Lord, is maybe that, that we could jump into something, who, somebody in the Scriptures who had much to be worried about. As a matter of fact, Mary is the person we're going to talk about. I have never, since I've been the pastor of the church, I've never really had a chance to teach this text. And I'm really anxious, and, or not anxious in a bad way, but not like excited rather, it, just to bring this. But Mary had much to be worried about. Let me give you some of the, the cultural things that she was going through before we read her story in Luke 1. In their culture, in, in the, the first century, culture, Jewish culture, Women didn't have the opportunities that they do here. As a matter of fact, women, they didn't even have the same social class that men did in that culture. If you think it's bad in our culture, it's nothing compared to what it was. Women, in a lot of ways, were actually treated, they, they, had the, they were treated equivalently like cattle than they were as humans. They didn't have the same opportunity in education. The, the men were the, were the main educators in the home, and a man would go out and they would pour into the boys, but, the, but all of the females got the leftovers. So what that left a lot of the females in the, in the first century Jewish culture is it left many of them illiterate. And yet they're illiterate, and yet maybe the, the only exposure that they would have to any sort of education was within uh, their time of worship. 
So they would just try and gather what they could, or maybe their father had enough energy after he had worked all day and then had educated the sons to where he would allow that to kind of sift down to the ladies. It was an imperfect culture. She had much to be worried about. As a matter of fact, in, in, in their culture, Mary is, is betrothed to Joseph, is what you know probably from Christmas story that you've heard in the years gone by. And for a, a couple to be betrothed, the man would typically be 18 to 20 years old, and, and the, the woman, quote-unquote woman, could be as young as 12 or 13 and be betrothed. Think about that. So junior high age. So potentially Mary potentially is illiterate, uneducated, and yet she's betrothed at junior high age. And, and before we even jump into this, she has, she has heard from an angel that she is pregnant with God, Right? Who thinks that could be problematic? And you thought it was bad enough trying to raise up your own kids? Imagine raising God, okay? So now she has much to be worried about. She, she lives in her hometown. is a place called Nazareth. And in, in literally in Nazareth, we, we know this from uh, John 1. We know that people kind of just kind of mocked Nazareth. That one of the people had said, Nazareth, what good can come from there? And Nazareth is it's not a city of thousands. It's more, more so just an agricultural village. So it potentially just had dozens, maybe a hundred or a couple hundred people. And that was it. So she's from a small town. She's working class poor. A place that there really has no influence in, in Nazareth. Women are not, they don't have the same dignity, value, and respect that our culture does. Even if you think that our culture doesn't offer that, theirs had significantly less. She received word that she was going to, she was going to birth and raise up God or Emmanuel. Mary had so much to be concerned about, possibly illiterate. How would she handle the burden of doing this? How would she raise a child? As a matter of fact, it would be so, it could be so damaging for her if Joseph would have said, you know what, now I'm checking out on this relationship. I mean, we're considered married because we're betrothed, but I just don't get it. And now you say that you're, you're pregnant with God. How do I know it's God? I don't know if I believe you. Maybe you're pregnant by somebody else. Joseph could have walked away, and culturally that would have been okay. And it would have forced, if Joseph would have walked away, it would have forced her into one of two things, to be a beggar for her whole life life or be a prostitute. She had so much to be concerned about. So much. And in her culture, it's a broken culture. But we all agree that our culture is too. So she has so much that she could worry about. She could be so anxious about. She could fear. What would people say? Now you have this, this, this junior high girl not well educated, in a, in a small village. What would people say to her? What, would, what names would they call her? How would they mock her? What if Joseph abandoned her? What if her father would have, have abandoned her? Because if her father would have abandoned her, which is very common in their culture, her father could have said, you know what? You have disgraced the family name. You've disgraced the family name. And in their culture... He would have been culturally right, not morally right, but culturally right with releasing her and saying, you can go be a beggar. I don't even want you to be a part of my family. She had much, much, much to be concerned about. And yet I know that all of us, have, we have legitimate things we're concerned about. 
But I, I bet if you were to, to put in, in comparison what, what Mary is walking into, or rather what she's about to give birth to, who she's about to give birth to, and then you look at your situation, your situation probably seems a little bit minor compared to hers. So yet, we have the setting, and the story of Mary actually starts in actually 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah 7.14, this is not the main text, this will be on the screen, a scripture that you're probably familiar with. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So this is a, a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah approximately 700 years before the events that we're going to read about and we're going we're to discuss and, and dig into. And yet the story starts 700 years before and she's the chosen vessel of which the Lord would come into this world. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, Mary, will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. Now this, this I realize that, that some of us are, are we are sold out followers of Jesus. We've been saved and we, we've got, we accept Jesus and the cross and he's the Lord of our life. And I also understand there's probably some other people in here who are not necessarily in that camp just yet. And I just want you to know this, this, this already is probably creating tension because I, I recognize not everybody in here is a Christian. I get it. And I welcome you. But I want you to know something. Before we even go any farther, the idea of being Emmanuel, God with us. And we believe, Christians believe this is Jesus. As a matter of fact, we have, we have basically poured our life and we've, we've exchanged our life for his life working in and through us. But in case you're not a Christian yet, I, I want to say this. This place is a place where we welcome you to seek out and, and to follow Jesus even before you believe everything that Jesus taught. That's what this church is about. So you can jump in and you maybe have some questions and what about the flood thing and I've heard about this Abraham guy and he's the father of nations but is he my dad? You, know, all, you may have a bunch of questions about all that and I get it and they're legitimate. And yet this place exists so we can just help you to say you can follow Jesus without believing everything that he said. We want you to, but we welcome you. So Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary has just found out the news. An angel spoke to her. That could be awkward, right? An angel spoke to her, gave her the news. So much to be concerned about. Many of us would say, I, I totally understand if she worries. I totally understand if she has anxiety. I totally understand if she has fear. But let's see how she responds. She responds by way of a song in verse 46. And Mary said, or Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. For he has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. For he filled the hungry with good things and he has left the rich away empty. But he has sent the rich away empty. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. That's the setting. So she has many things that she could be so worried about and so consumed about, and none of us would even, we would even scold her for that. But yet, how does she respond? to this tremendous amount of pressure with worship. And I want you to know this. You and I, you cannot worry about anything and worship God at the same time. You can't worry about your situation. You can't worry about this or worry about that and worship God at the same time. You cannot. Now, I will help to kind of jump into this, and we're going to really take this apart. We understand that she was under some pressure, but, but the big idea is how can we replace worry with heartfelt worship? How can we do that? So let's go through, and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go backward, and then we're going to jump back into that text, but we're going to, we're going to really come from a specific angle. And I just want you to say, or I want you to know this uh, and just to identify, where does worry come from? Like, where does it come from? Because we have to go back to the source so we're not just putting a Band-Aid on something. We want to go back and heal the wound. So where does, where does worry really come from? And some other text I want to, uh, just to allow this to kind of speak into it. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says this, The purpose of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. So it's within our heart, the deep recesses of our heart, that worry lands and the worry flows out of. That's where it comes from. Luke 12, 34. Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, what are you treasuring? What is it that you worry about? What is it that you just you have to have more of because that's your treasure? A lot of times this is only used in the context of money. It fits in the context of money, but this fits in the context of everyday life. What do you treasure? What is it that you worry about? Because whatever it is that you worry about is where your heart is. That's what this verse is saying. As a matter of fact, within this passage in Luke 12, and when the, the idea is coming around and his disciples are, are being taught from Jesus himself, and he comes through and he says, don't worry about your life, what, what you're going to eat and drink and what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your life. In essence, what he's saying is, your life is in me. And then he tells them, he says, observe the birds. Go look at the birds. He says, they don't worry. You know what they do? They worship. They worship and they go pick up worms and stuff. That's what they do, right? And that's their act of worship. And they just they live their life and they and they they sustain life. And that's their act. They're worshiping God when they do that. And Jesus says, "Hey, go look at the birds. Reflect upon how simple their life is. They're not all worried about what they're going to eat and drink and what they're going to wear, or even what they're going to do. They just do it worshipfully." James one fourteen says this also. 
He says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. So when we worship, where does it come from? It comes from our heart. And that's the thing that we treasure quite often. But then backing it up in James 1.14, but, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. So the temptation doesn't, or the evil desire doesn't come from somewhere else. It comes from somewhere inside of us and has dragged us away and enticed us to personalize it. So it comes from within us. The worry comes from within. It's not the situation because there's always a situation. There's always a need for a better job. There's always a need for more money. There's always a need for a, a better marriage or doing more in marriage. There's always a need for having better kids or better, better opportunities for your kids. There's always those things. Always. It's what we do with it. What are we worshiping? What we worship is really, even the word worship means worth-ship. It's what we give value to. What we give our hearts to. So our treasure, the treasure that we worry about, that we get consumed about, that we fear about, we have anxiety about, is the thing that we're worshiping. Because you can't worry and worship God at the same time. You can't. So it comes from within. So worry comes from within. It comes from the heart. And a man of understanding, as it says in Proverbs 20, we have to draw those things out, out of the deep recesses of our heart. It's possible. Boring into a little bit more. I, I just want you to, this is going to be a little bit heavy, but I believe it's, it's important, so we're going to go there. Often worry is a sign that an idol is failing you. Often worry is a sign that an idol is failing you. That you put all of your hope and your trust in something, and now that, that foundation is cracking with under, with, 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 from under you, rather, and now you're worried, and that is proving to you that there is an idol that is failing you. Some potential things that we worry about. What do we worry about? We worry about our life, right? That's why Jesus said that in Luke 12. We worry about our, our comfort. We worry about all our comfort and having all the creature comforts. We worry about this and this and this and, and the clothes and, and the car and the house and how I'm going to look to the neighbors. We worry about our security. Not just living for today. Jesus said, worry about today. Don't necessarily worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the 40-year plan. What, what are you doing today? Do the right thing today. So we worry about our security. Some of you are single and you're worried that, that you're not going to find the right person. I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want to do all that. And you worry about all of you. You exchange uh, the worship of God for worrying about finding the person, uh, the, the, the best man or woman to spend the rest of your life with and you're, you're kind of chasing after that and we worry, you get consumed about it. Some of you are, are, are worried about what other people think so much so that everything that you do is kind of built on this facade that you worry about what the neighbors are going to think and I've got to have my, my grass cut just right and I've got to have the lines like the golf course does because I want to look good for everybody else, right? And, and you're all worried about what everybody else thinks. You go to work and you don't want to be too crazy about Jesus because what if people look at you like a Jesus freak? By the way, I love this song from DC Talk. You know? Like you don't want to be known as one of those Jesus people, but by, by being too spiritual, being too godly, too gospel centered. So what you do is you hide your faith and you exchange worship for God and worry about what other people think. Happens all the time. Worry about happiness. Some of you even worry about the approval. I just want to kind of let the, let the air out of 
maybe a balloon. Some of you are still trying to seek the approval of your parents. And I just, I, and it's a real thing, and I understand it, and I understand, I understand, you know, daddy baggage and mommy baggage. I get all that, okay? I've lived it. I've lived it. And some of you are still trying to chase approval of your parents, and everything you do, and you're worried about how am I, how am I going to have dad, you know, look at me and smile upon me, and how am I going to have dad say this and do this and all that. I just want you to know you can rest, and you can just kind of give all of that to Jesus and let him be just as the, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father that that song talked about, and just kind of putting all of that in him and saying, he is the daddy that I need. My dad is not perfect, except that he's not perfect. You're not perfect. He, or your dad and mom are not going to be perfect. So just say, you know what? My heavenly father is perfect. And I seek his approval, and I've got it. I'm a child of God. He loves me. He is my Abba Father, and that's all I need. I don't need the approval of everybody else. Stop worrying about everybody else's approval because when you do so, it basically it destroys your own life. And you build your life on a facade of what other people think and what other people believe or what you think other people think and other people believe, which is not even the truth. And yet... All of this, if we just exchange all of that worry with heartfelt worship, your life will be better, your relationships will be better, your marriage will be better. And you know what? Even the relationship with your parents, who you maybe who have wronged you and they've never said they're sorry, even that gets better when you can go and you can just say, you know what, I've got the approval of God. And in response to everybody else and everything else, I'm going to give grace. But it starts with Jesus. It doesn't start with you. You don't have the power. I don't have the power. And yet, worry is a sign that an idol is failing you. So here's some, some idols, the idol of control. Many of you, you try and control everything. And then what happens is when you can't control it, by the way, I, I tend to kind of lean here. So this, you know, I, I'm not necessarily preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the preacher here, just so you know. So for, for me, it's like the idol of control. I, I like to have control of things. I get that. I, I have to confess and repent that before God on a regular basis because I like to be in control. And yet I like to control outcomes. But I would say that some of you do too. You like to control outcomes so much so that you have your hand. You say, God, I trust you, but then you do it all and don't trust him through the process. But yet you sit back and say, God, thank you very much, but you tried to do it all by yourself. But when that fails, in essence, you fail, an idol has failed. What are you worshiping? Control, and not the Lord. That's an idol. And yet, many times when, when, when we worry, it is quite often, not all the time, but quite often when we worry, it's a sign that an idol is failing us. So there's the acceptance thing. We've jumped into that, the public image we, we, we can, that itself is an idol. That's the, the, the idol of what will they think. That's the idol that's being identified there. That's the, that's the heart issue in that. The idol of public image and like, well, you know, I can't be too serious about my faith. And sure, I mean, I, I'm going to pray when everybody else prays or I'm going to say amen when everybody else says amen. But I don't want to be the first one. When I go to work, I want to be kind of, you know, a chameleon. I just going to kind of blend in with the crowd. And Jesus didn't ask you to be a chameleon. He asks you to be light in dark places. And yet you can't be so worried about public image and what am I going to look like? What do my neighbors think? What do my coworkers think? What am I, what's my husband think? And all that. Be on fire for Jesus. Just be it and do it. And yet we have the idol of, of covetousness, being greedy and envy and jealousy. To where now we, we can't rest in God's faithfulness. We want what everybody else has. 
And yet, that's an idol. And now we try and covet everything we have. We don't want to give anything away. We don't want to do anything. We want to keep everything and go inward with everything. And in essence, we, we idol, or rather, we become the idol that we're worshiping, the idol of self. Some of you have set back, and this, this is, this is a, a huge problem in some of you. You worship the idol of self. To where it's all about me and it's my body and my wishes and I do this and I've done this and this is what I want to do and you're chasing your dream and you could you could care less you stiff arm God's dream for you because you're too busy living your dream but yet when your dream fails and that foundation crumbles now and you worry about it then that should give you an indication hey an idol has just an idol is failing me and you hopefully you would learn that you would fall back on the grace of God and say I was trying to be my own idol no wonder it didn't work. John Calvin, he said this, the human heart is an idol factory. He says that the human heart is an idol factory. He says every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. I believe that is so true. By the way, John Calvin, he is a Protestant reformer. He and, and some other people are really... Uh, were so influential in us basically breaking away from Catholicism. So uh, I highly esteem him. Don't necessarily believe everything that, that he taught, but that's okay. Um, but he's somebody who's impacted all of us. If you're within this place, his ministry has impacted us. And he, he goes through, so I respect his words, and he says, the human heart is an idle factory, and I know this so much to be true in my life. That I have to have a time of steady confession and repentance before God and say, God, am I setting anything up? Am, am, I, am I setting up this, this thing that I'm trying to build, this, this facade and this foundation of which I'm trying to base my life off of that's not of you? And then when I worry about it, I, I realize that there's that, that thing that's fracturing underneath me is a sign, hey, what am I worshiping? I'm worshiping a false idol. And when I worry, it means it's failing me. So I go back and I confess it as sin and I repent of it. And I, and I say, I'm, I turn away from it and I go back to God. And you know what? God is faithful and just and he will forgive all unrighteousness. That's an amazing truth. So no matter where you are, how broken you are, how far away you've been from God, God is always on the other side of your prayer. Always. Always. He wants you to be back. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're out of fellowship with Him, He wants you to be back. Maybe for you, you used to go to church and you, you, you've, there was a time in your life where you got saved and you walked away from church. And we, around here, we would kind of call you de-churched. Many of us have been that way. And maybe for you, you're just like, yeah, I understand that I gave my life to Jesus. I had these issues and blah, blah, blah. I, I get it. But I just want you to know that God can receive you back and he can make you whole just the same way the day you receive Christ. He can bring you all the way back. He's the only one who can. By his power, his grace, his mercy. Colossians 3.5 says this about idolatry. Colossians 3.5, it says... Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put it to death. He says that's your earthly desires. If you're a born-again follower of Jesus, you have new desires. You need to live in that reality and not to chase the worldly desires. The worldly desires are saying, hey, put an idol up. 
Idolize somebody. Idolize something. Idolize work. Idolize somebody else's marriage while you're not living out the marriage you're supposed to. Idolize, idolize somebody else's husband when you're not actually trying to build up the one you've got. All of those things are of the world, and they are impure, and they're lust, and there's sexual immorality there, and all of the things that are being listed here. But what Paul is saying in Colossians 3.5, he says, all of these are idolatry. You're idolizing something or someone. But he says... To do what? Put him to death. It doesn't say put him to bed, does it? It doesn't say, well, just put him to bed and just kind of do your thing, and then in the morning you have to deal with it again. He says, put him to death, kill him. Dying to self and being alive in Christ. That's what a relationship, that's what a walk with God is supposed to be. Because it's not about us. It's dying to, to our sinful desires and dying to, to our old way of thinking and to become the fullness of who he wants us to be. I mean, at the end of the day, if we're preparing for him while we're preparing for them, first it has to start with their own hearts, does it not? It has to. And it says to put them to death. Change the way you think. Change the things that you do. Think also, we want to exchange a heart of worry into heartfelt worship. We want to exchange a heart of worry into heartfelt Worship. If you would, please hold your place in Luke 1, but then also go uh, to the right in your Bible, just a couple books, to uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. I would like to show you something there on the topic of worry, anxiety, fear, and all those things. Philippians 4. Verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. But, here's the great exchange. This is, this is the transition from, from, from a heart of worry into heartfelt worship. This is the change. This right here. It's coming. You ready? Let's see it. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your, what's the next word? Hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the great exchange is this, to go from a heart of worry into heartfelt worship is to go back to God and say, and do, and do not be anxious about anything. That's the putting that to death, that, that idolatry, putting that, don't, don't even worry about it, don't even think about it. You've died to that. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And you say, I, I don't think, I, I don't know how to, to stop worrying. As a matter of fact, you think that worrying is your spiritual gift, right? It's not. Like many of you, like you worry, and now I even say the word worry, and now you're worried about not worrying, and now it's like a big flywheel, and now you're like about to fly apart. Okay, it's all right. It's all right. Relax. Take a deep breath. You know, it's all right. Pat yourself on the back. Say, it's going to be all right. See, here, here's the great exchange. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's amazing that God wants to hear it from you. He just doesn't want to hear it from, from the pastor. He wants to hear it from all of his children. 
If you're a follower of Jesus and you're, you're following and you've given your life to Christ and you would consider yourself a Christian, he wants to hear from you. And the only way that you can do that great exchange, that you can exchange the, the heart of worry into heartfelt worship is honestly by his power, but we do so. It's an amazing thing. It's by prayer and petition. Now, the, the word petition literally means going over and over and over. If you petition something, it's, it's not just I prayed it one time and wow, it happened. Sometimes it does, but sometimes you pray it and then you got to pray it and then you got to pray it and then you got to study it, you got to read it, you got to talk it and you got to pray it and you got to petition it. You got to go back and back and back and back and back. Sometimes that's just reality. Sometimes you pray and it just goes away. Other times, God says, petition me. Petition me. Just keep going back and back and back and back and forth. Just keep coming back to me. God never tires from hearing from his children. And do so with thanksgiving. And it says, present your request to God. Just pour your heart out. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Something interesting about, about this text, and, and moving back into Luke 1. Many of you, you, I've created a problem for you because you're like, okay, you've told me that I worry. You told me that I probably have an idol that's driving the worry. And yet you said that I need to exchange my heart of worry into heartfelt worship. Well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Now, we're going to go back into this text and the only way that we can do so is by resting on the attributes of God, the, the character qualities of God. The only way we can do it. Because any other, any other way of going back to the, or rather, any other way of doing it creates a problem. But God reveals to us something, really ten things, that are so powerful from Mary's song. That Mary had so much to be concerned about, so much that, that she would have been even justified in worrying about, but she didn't worry. She worshipped. She worshipped. And let's look at where her source of worship came from. Back to our text in Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. First thing is this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Some of you need to hear that. I want to share some other scriptures uh, and the idea of that, that Jesus is Lord. In Romans 10.9, Romans 10.9, it, it says, and Lex, let's put that on the screen. It's frozen. Awesome. Good thing I brought my Bible. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. He says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This is from the NIV. That's the NLT. I'll read it off the screen because that's what you're looking at. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, Mary is pointing to something. She says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The only way that you can have the great exchange of, of just a heart of worry into heartfelt worship is understanding that Jesus is Lord. 
that he is all-powerful. The next verse. Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the, the dead and the living. See, Christ, he died and he returned to life to prove to us once and for all that I am God. Because you can't do that. Muhammad can't do that. Muhammad is still in a grave. Every other world religion is built upon a false leader and they're all in the grave. This is the only one who is not. This is Jesus is Lord because when, when he resurrected, he came back to even his family members recognized, wow, I saw you die. I know you went in that hole and you came out of the hole. You are here. And they testified to it. That's the only time that's ever happened in the history of history. So Jesus, he says that he, or rather he didn't say this, this is something Paul wrote, that Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord, the Lord, sovereign ruler of the dead and the living. Now this, this word Lord means something. In the Old Testament we see the word Yahweh or Jehovah as being Lord. In the New Testament it's, it's written in Greek, so the word is different. And that word is kurios. And it means sovereign ruler. Ruler, sovereign, all-powerful, almighty, controlling, in charge, the one. That's what this is. That's the, the, the New Testament word for Yahweh. Maybe you're familiar with that if you're church folks. He says, my, or rather, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. First Peter 3.22 says this, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept His authority. They accept His authority. Whose authority? Jesus' authority. Because they understand. And I want you to understand. And I want you to believe. And I want you to confess your brokenness and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. But you do so not because of, of what you have to offer. It's because of what He has done and because of who He is. And that even that He is seated at the, at the place of honor next to God, the Father, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept His authority. So why don't you? Why don't, why don't you? Christian, why do you worry? Because when you worry, you're not accepting His authority over that situation. When you worry, you're putting an idol in the way of his authority, of, of, of you recognizing his authority. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Continuing on, the second thing we'll see from the same verse. My soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, God is, is the rescuer. There's, there's other uh, religious groups who basically they treat Mary like she is a God. And let me tell you, here's, here's one way to disprove this. If Mary was God or if Mary is worthy of our worship, why would she need a Savior? Why would she need a Savior? Even in her own words, why would she need a Savior if she thought she was one? Why would she need a Savior if she thought she was the Redeemer? So even with that, one verse disproves really, the theological foundation 
that a lot of people have built upon. But God is rescuer. That you were in your worst place. And, and that God came down. God with us. Emmanuel came down as this, this rescue attempt to save souls and to reconcile the world. The world, not, not trees and, and water and animals, but the world, meaning people, reconciling them back to himself. God is rescuer. But then continuing on, it says, verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Third thing is this, God knows everything. He knows everything. He knows how bad your situation is, and He knows how good your situation is. He knows everything. We can trust God. He knows your situation better than you do. He knows the outcome of the situation that you're in, and you don't. We can place our trust in Him. The only way that we can have the great exchange of, of, of a heart of worship, into, into, or rather, from a heart of worry into heartfelt worship is by understanding these things. And the third one is this. God knows everything. He knows your situation. He's not absent. He hasn't turned his back on you. He hasn't forgotten about you, follower of Jesus. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't walked away from you because of that thing that you said or, or the words that you, you know, or the words that you said and the things that you've done. He hasn't walked away from you. He knows you. He loves you. He's pursued you. Mary continues, From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. For me. Holy is His name. The third thing I want us to, to see is that God is personal. Look what she says. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. For me. She speaks of God being mighty. He's more powerful than, than how, how bad you think your situation is. God is mighty. He is more powerful. He can break any stronghold or spiritual bondage that's on your life. He alone can do it. Your idol can't do it. The thing that you worry about can't doing it. The, 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 the people you're trying to, you know, to, to get attention from. They can't do it. Only God can offer satisfactions for your sins. And only God can make your life make sense. Only God. He's more powerful to, to break any stronghold. And yet God is personal. God is personal. Look what Mary says. She says, for me. God has done this for me. She accepts what has happened. And she says, wow, this, this amazing God loves me. And maybe some of you just need to hear that today. That God loves you enough to not just set you free from sins, but He loves you enough to give you abundant life. But you can't live life on your terms. You have to live life off His terms. God is personal. God is personal. His mercy, it says in verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Because God is merciful. So this far, God, Jesus is Lord. God knows everything. God is personal. God is mighty. God is, he is, he is holy. He is holy. It says holy is his name at the end of verse 49. That he is holy. Verse 50, it speaks of God's, that God is merciful. 
For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, it says in verse 51. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty, because God is just. God is just. God does not bring about your sin. Satan, working within your evil desires, brings out your sin. God does not bring about sin. God brings redemption from sin, but he not, does not bring about sin. God is just. He has filled the hungry with good things because God is generous. God's a giver. He's a giver. For he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And that, I would tell you, shows that God is faithful. He's faithful. So if you give something to him today, he's faithful to work that out in the future. His faithfulness. Mary had so much to be worried about and consumed about. And... and from whether if she was illiterate or not, but she's a junior high girl potentially, and now she's supposed to bring a baby into the world. And what would people say? What would my father say? What if Joseph, Joseph abandons me? I'm from Nazareth. Nobody cares about Nazareth. She's poor. Just working class poor. Just trying to make ends meet. What would people say about me? Do I have any hope? And yet, one thing that is explicitly clear is what she does. And what we have to do is the only way that you and I can exchange a heart of worry and a heartfelt worship is by leaning upon God's attributes. So before I pray, I'm going to ask one question. Are you going to worry or are you going to worship? Are you going to worry or are you going to worship? Because you can't do both at the same time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you today. We just glorify your holy name. Lord God, we just receive your word. We thank you that, that you, are, you are, are all of these things and so much more than even what Mary even talked about. God, you're not just about saving us from our sins and just wanting us to just live the rest of our life, however it works out, and good luck, I'll see you in heaven. That you're personal. That you want us to, to pray and to petition you with our needs and concerns. As a matter of fact, you welcome it. And God, I pray that you would maybe release some bondage from people in this room. There are some people in here who are absolutely worried about lesser things. And I pray that you would just allow them, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to break free from the bondage of worry and exchange it with heartfelt worship. And we trust that you will. We know that you can. Amen. 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 